right, welcome back. Uh, in this podcast, I'm sitting down with Rebecca Heiser, uh, an instructional designer who I've spoken with previously on this podcast, to talk about uh, tool selection and how that impacts pedagogy, and also many of the kind of practical considerations or constraints that you might have as you're thinking about choosing a technology to support your desired um, learning environment uh, and, and objectives um, and, and some of the, the things that happen in practice that, that might um, cause you to have to make compromises um, regarding your, your tool selection, such as you know, the cost of developing new tools or, uh, or just the availability of tools and, and, and also you know, the whole process for making those types of decisions, so understanding what the affordances of, of a tool are um, and uh, you know, some, of the, some of the specific steps you might go into to align the tools that you have available to you with, with your learning objectives. Um, and we also kind of wrap up with talking a little bit about some of the more innovative or emerging technologies um, that a lot of learning designers uh, like to think about um, but might not have a whole lot of you know, research behind them to talk about what their impacts might be. Uh, so how you might approach tool selection when um, you know, it's, it's more of an experimental situation and there's a little bit of educated guesswork on your part in, uh, in, in finding the right technologies for your, for your needs. Um, so, so I think that, the, as I say in the podcast, um, what, what the reality is is that as much as we'd like to think that we, as learning designers, might be able to identify a problem and then select the best technology to, to suit that problem and, and, and really have the best learning outcomes for our students, in reality, uh, it's a lot messier than that. It's a lot more of an iterative process. Um, and, and I think that you'll be more successful when you understand that and you sort of learn some strategies to work within those constraints. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation. All right, so today I am joined by our uh, guest, Rebecca Heiser, who's, who's joined the podcast pre previously. I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, okay, so the, the, this podcast is going to be a little bit more conversational than some of the other sort of interview style podcasts. Um, I think we both have a lot to say on the topic of tool selection or how instructional designers approach selecting and integrating technology into um, the instruction that they're, that they're, that they're designing. Um, and I, I think we'll, we, we will unpack this a bit, but I think that there's as often as it's done the right way, it's done the wrong way or it's, it's not as effective as it could be. And I think that it results in a lot of, um, unnecessary adoption of technology that's not really suited to the task. Um, and, you know, at, and at best in situations like that, it's, it's not having much of an impact. Um, and in the worst case, when we improperly adopt technology, it can actually interfere with the learning process, um, which I think you would agree with. And I think you're as like me, probably more, even more cautious than me about these things. Um, but but I think that that's basically the topic I wanted to talk about today is just uh, is just you know what what are we doing right what are we doing wrong and what are the you know what are some strategies that that 
you know, a new learning designer and even an experienced learning designer or somebody who is coming from a more of a tech an IT sort of space into the learning design world can do better. So how does that sound? That sounds great. This is going to be a, a complex topic for sure. <laughs> it is. It is. I, I, yeah, yeah. There's more, there's more to talk about here than we have time for, but we'll try to get through the, the key points. And I, and I thought that um, a good place to start is this trope that we we talk about within the learning design space um, when we're really talking about sort of proper methodologies is um, you know that a good learning designer wants to make sure that the pedagogy is always first and that the, and any kind of technology that we adopt is in service of the the learning theory that we all know well um, and and should really be driving technology but in reality, it's a lot messier than that. Um, a lot of times the technology comes first and then we sort of find a fit for it. Um, or, or, and I think what's, what's more interesting for us to dive into maybe is where it's a sort of a virtuous cycle of, of, of ideas bouncing back and forth. So what is your general take on, um, you know, is this being mostly done right or mostly being done wrong or people getting the order of this, you know, are people being cognizant of this? Well, I think designers are always challenged with this idea of, you know, which comes first, the pedagogy or the technology. And I, I feel that we often look as, at technology more as the delivery method. And we're usually looking and um, vetting technology tools or processes um, to see if, if there is alignment to the learning objectives or the goals of, of a course or a program. Um, some of the things we also have to keep into consideration is that technology, um, and specifically in higher education, are really complex systems. So we have to think of um, if technology is, is um, equitable, if it's accessible, um, and, and really how does the technology support the learners in achieving the goals uh, and the outcomes of, of um, the learning experience. So they are closely related. I, I can't say, um, I, I feel like pedagogy really is, is the starting point. And then from there, we look at, can a tool or a technology um, service or program help us achieve that better than uh, the way that, that we currently have it designed. And uh, so I feel like technology is often just the vehicle um, for us to deliver that information, hopefully, hopefully more seamlessly um, in the learning process. Yeah, and that's, well, that's an interesting perspective to, to, to look at real quick, because I think that just our, what we feel is the role of technology is important because there's there's technologies that we use to develop courses. I mean, there's the tools that a learning designer just uses to author and organize their ideas and that those things even might impact um, the types of designs that we do. Um, there's, there's the technologies that we use to just like deliver, you know, like the learning management system and the content management system. And, but then there's all kinds of tools that are more closely bound up with the design of uh, for the assignments, for instance. Like if we're going to do a particular in an online course, we're going to do a particular 
um, collaboration activity with students. Um, the, the design, a, a colleague of mine calls this implicit pedagogy, which is this idea, and, and within the Within this course, um, one of the things uh, we talk about a little bit is um, this Marshall McLuhan, who's a big um, design guy, uh, uh, that that um, wrote about this idea of that the the, um, uh, the the medium is the message. So, in other words, in, in our case, in the co context of learning design, the design of the of the technology um, can actually very um, fundamentally shape how the technology is used or like what, what things are created by the technology. So if we did some kind of collaborate collaborative activity where students are engaging with each other, like in a, you know, for instance, in a discussion board, that the design of that discussion board, the feature set of that discussion board, or, or something that's radically different than a traditional discussion board that, you know, there's all kinds of things like upvotes and downvotes and different ways to surface interesting technology, interesting conversations. Um, there's all kinds of things that are really close to the way that students are completing that assignment that, you know, if you do it wrong, you're not going to achieve the type of engagement between students that you're really shooting for from a, you know, from a pedagogy standpoint. Um, so, so I think that some people could say, oh, technology is just a delivery platform for the instruction. But actually, if you make bad, and this is really the heart of this conversation, is if you make bad decisions about technology, you really fundamentally shape in a negative way the type of learning that happens. And so it's, it's incumbent on you to make good decisions about what technology you select because it's just as important of a pedagogical choice as what content you write in your, in your course. I think part of that too is, especially in the instructional designer's role, is that we need to do um, a learning environment analysis, whether that's in a face-to-face uh, -face classroom or if that's, um, in, in our case, online. Um, so utilizing Canvas, which is our learning management system, designers really need to have a full understanding of how uh, Canvas works, how it can help support the pedagogy. Um, but we also need to think about other tools that we could potentially integrate in there that, that may not have, uh, that our learning management system may not have the functionality to support or create. And so um, though discussion boards are often the way that students can collaborate and communicate with one another, sometimes we need to consider um, other low fidelity or high fidelity tools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times we look at discussion forums as a space for social presence, really um, helping learners connect, maybe not feel as isolated. This is also a place where the instructor can also communicate. But there are other options out there um, that may enhance that uh, communication channel. Or maybe it's just adding more complexity to the learning process because now um, you're, you're putting students and the instructor in a space where they have to learn a new tool or create a new account and then kind of work through two different learning curves, both utilizing the tool and also, you know, working in this space to uh, support their learning. So I think a lot of times um, when we're talking about the tools, we as instructional designers, we really need to know the ins and outs of this, really just providing a, a um, detailed analysis and evaluation of the learning environments in which we're working in 
to understand the pros and the cons, what affordances those um, delivery mechanisms can provide to us, and which ones are um, maybe gaps that we can help fill by going and looking at other tools to support the same type of pedagogy that we're trying to achieve. So you mentioned affordances, and that's a word that I like to use too, because it's sort of a, at least in the in a, in a straightforward way, the evaluating a technology and kind of understanding precisely what the fit between the pedagogy and the and the features of the tool are. Um, do you find that most learning designers, at least the ones that are being thoughtful about tool selection, technology selection, do you think that they are pretty systematic about um, articulating affordances and aligning affordances with with um, with objectives or is that is it just unrealistic in, in actual practice to to do that in any kind of like formal way um it, i believe it is done in a formal way and i think it happens in two different spaces there's one that it's going to hit at a program level or a departmental level um, tools that the department or the program the academic partner may approve uh, that they would like to use throughout the curriculum. This usually helps with scalability. This also helps as far as faculty development. It also supports um, students, as I was mentioning earlier, with, with this dual learning curve of not only understanding the technology, but also how um, to utilize it in, in the learning process. So I, one, it happens at a program level. The other level, too, is looking at the course level. So if you're going to adopt this technology, again, you're going to systematically think about the scale of it. You're also going to work through um, what type of support, at what cost is it to uh, use this tool? And I don't always mean the cost being financial. There's also a lot of resource and, and training that also may go into place with adopting a tool. Um, you. So there's a lot of things I think designers have to think about, and it's not just at a, a course level, it's also at a program level. And so um, I feel like designers are having to think through these things at a very systematic uh, process. And a lot of this conversation goes on, um, especially in the course development process and working through the iterations with um, the SME or, or the course author. Uh, this is a lot of times where we're able to start to brainstorm if we're going to adopt a tool. And then we start working through the processes of how to implement that tool um, and, and looking at the scale, if it's something that could be uh, leveraged across the program or not, or if this is really just a one-time instance. So it, so in, in one of the things that's that's sort of the unfortunate reality, I think, a lot of times of... The situation that a learning designer finds themselves in when working with faculty and really trying to be thoughtful about about the the design of their courses is you often have a certain set of technologies that have been selected by your company or your institution there are often expensive licensing considerations as you said um so you you don't have like the entire the entire ecosystem of technologies at your disposal and you can choose the perfect one that fits like a glove to your problem you sort of pick it off of a out of a toolbox and nothing quite fits so i mean do you find yourself in the situation where 
you're having to have high-minded ideas about what you want to do with a particular engagement with a student, and you kind of have to compromise that a little bit to, you know, and, and make do with what you have? Um, sometimes, yeah. I, it's easy to especially work within um, enterprise solutions that may have been adopted by the industry or by the institution or or by the corporation, those are obviously going to be your, your go-tos and your design toolkits, so to speak. Um, when you start looking at other tools, you really then need to um, be very critical of them, uh, not just looking at scale, but also looking at uh, what that learning experience or, or how this uh, tool or service could support your process. Um, you also have to consider you know, really, what does the faculty development process look like? Um, that's another challenge. If this tool is going to be something that's adopted into um, a course design, what is, who are the roles? Who are the players utilizing this tool or technology? Um, so a lot of times there are some prohibited costs moving forward. Um, if this is something that could be uh, scaled out, maybe the cost and the expense could be carried over multiple um, buckets. <laughs> maybe it's something that that is uh, paid for by user. There are challenges there. There's also challenges with um, data and privacy. Uh, you know, especially if this is a tool that students would be utilizing, we need to consider who's hosting that data, who has access to it, what is being, how is it being used. Um, so we usually have to go, at least um, in my capacity, we'll go through a risk management process after um, quite often we've gone through our own ID testing. Uh, sometimes we go and work with our uh, user experience team and our accessibility team to look at other ways if this tool is actually a viable option. So there's a lot of um, thought and consideration. There's a lot of testing, prototyping uh, before we even you know, get to the point that we can start utilizing and implementing it into a, a course or a program. Yeah. Yeah. That procurement process and the risk risk management, um, you know, it, that's a really difficult decision. And I think Penn State is, is very sensitive to, um, to risk. And, uh, and I think that there's a, probably because there's been a lot of vendors we worked with over the years that have, played fast and loose with our student data. Um, and we really want to try to as much as possible avoid that. There's other considerations like GDPR, the, um, the European uh, data privacy rules that might, we have to make sure that because we serve a global, global audience that whatever tool we select complies with GDPR, which means students can opt out of you know, data collection for that tool. And that, and that places further burdens on the vendors and limits what, what tools we can use. So, um, so there's a lot of, you know, in, in addition to cost, there's a lot of things that might prevent us from using the tools that we really feel are the most, the best fit for the, for the problem that we're trying to solve. So it's a very, I mean, what it ends up being is almost, unless you have a really great tool, like we use Zoom, for instance, for a lot of our synchronous video collaboration stuff, and that's a really great tool. Um, you do get those sort of enterprise situations where you you just happen to have selected a really good tool for that particular function. But I think um, there's but 
but there's a lot of times where in fact things just get like tied up in this this bureaucracy. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that just gets back to that we we work in these very complex systems. There's lots of stakeholders. There's lots of policy yep. that we have to work through. There's also, you know, sometimes we're in a place where we find out there's really not a tool out there that is something that we can adopt, whether it's just cost prohibitive or we don't have, um, you know, we feel like we could potentially make it in house, right? Like there's also another opportunity that we can design mm -hmm. yeah. and create our yeah. own tool, yeah. which can fit yeah. our need. Um, and then we, we usually work through some sort of, um, project management process, we look at programming hours, we look at ways that this tool could be scalable. Um, and, and so there's other opportunities that we don't always need to go purchase or pure, you know, uh, you know, go find the tool. Sometimes it makes more sense for us to create the tool internally as well. Um, but there are un unintended costs right. to that. A lot of times it seems like, oh, well, we don't, nothing fits. We're going to build it ourselves, and it's going to fit perfectly and it's going to take us some time. But, you know, then the long-term maintenance of that tool um, rears its ugly head, bugs. You kind of, the programmers get done with developing the, the solution and everybody's really happy with it, but then bugs start creeping up and they've moved on to another product project and then they have to go back and support these bugs and, and um, you know, and this, and that, and it just be, and you but you've integrated this thing into so many courses that it becomes this sort of like maintenance nightmare that never ends. Um, there's scope creep, so if you don't have good formal processes for just controlling like what the features of this tool are, these things get glommed on over time, and you turn you have this like sort of Frankenstein tool. Um, so there's a lot of there's like a real I have I'm really loath to recommend that that thing is custom things be built a lot of times because I've just been in these situations where you just, you just, you can never dig yourself out of the hole you've put yourself in with these custom tools. Um, so, so they do have value, but there's the double-edged sword with the, with the build option. Um, and yeah, and that, that's a really hard, that's not a, it's not a straightforward decision to make. It's not. And I think the challenge with, you know, whether you build a course, uh, build a tool internally, or if you purchase a, a, a tool service technology um, outside with a third party vendor, you know, the, the same challenge is going to always exist is that technology is moving faster than, than we're often able to keep up. And most of the tools and technologies out there are not typically designed for education sector. So the a lot of times designers are taking these tools and kind of retrofitting them to, to work into um, a learning process or, or an educational environment. So we, I think that that really gets back to this, this ongoing push-pull scenario that, that we have with technology is that it is moving fast. It's constantly evolving and changing. So even if you go with a third-party tool, it's also going through ongoing updates. I mean, for example, Canvas, our, our learning management system, typically has ongoing updates for us within a two to three week timeframe. So 
things are just always evolving and, and designers always need to be on top of that. So if there is a new rollout, if there's a new update, if there's a new patch coming along, um, we need to understand what those implications are to practice. Um, yeah. And so, and within learning design, that that's definitely something that we practice and generally at Penn State, I think, um, for instance, with Canvas, there's very regular patches that are happening. And so, and they, and they give you some advanced notice. And every time one of those release notes come out, we're all over it. And, and everybody, you know, it's nose to the grindstone to, to test out what they did and make sure that it's doing what they say it's doing. And that, cause when it goes out to production three weeks later, it's not going to blow up the grade book or it's not going to, you know, fundamentally alter the way that students access their content, which doesn't happen too often, but it does happen. And we'd like to know about it as soon as possible. Right. We have to keep our eye on the moving target. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, beca it almost becomes a sort of a, the secondary part of your job, like in addition to having to be uh, working with faculty and designing courses, you have to be sort of this very diligent technology evaluator. Yeah, I think a lot of that also goes um, into training, right? Like it, um, mm -hmm. you know, we have to keep an open mindset that things are always evolving. Therefore, we're always, um, you know, having some type of training or professional development um, to just keep in tune with what's going on. And sometimes these are things that are happening at a really high level, and we may be way down the totem pole before it actually gets to us. But we need to keep an eye on that scope because ultimately it probably, we are going to be the ones who are going to have to fix or do or consult or, or find another solution if necessary. Um, so I, I think it's what actually makes our job quite interesting and challenging is that um, it, it just never is the same. <laughs> it's always changing. Yep. Okay, so that, that that's a good segue into to my next sort of topic of conversation, and I think we've been been talking a little bit abstractly about this this problem, and I'm wondering if we could talk about some of the com the more common tools. And we already mentioned discussion boards; they're really heavily used in online education, for better or worse. Um, I wonder if we could just talk through a couple common tools not not getting not i think the next question that i have is regarding like innovation and new tools but but for the common common ones that are in a lot of our courses um what first of all what are they what are some of the common tools um and how what are some specific ways that they impact how students learn that we should be aware of we can start with discussion boards unless you have something else. But yeah, we can. Um, discussion boards is easily uh, one of the first first places that we can start. Um, their primary goal is really to have um, to support students in active learning and the fact that they are able to um, act on on the information or, or the um, content and the materials provided. And then reflect on it by writing up uh, their thoughts um, based upon those discussion prompts. So they have they serve multiple purposes because of their asynchronous nature that it allows students to be actively thinking, but also 
taking the time to maybe, um, you know, really consider the words, the word choice or how they're going to formulate their responses in this discussion board. So those, those are low fidelity ways for students to communicate with one another. Um, they are pretty much unanimously in every learning management system. And we also see them in other you know, places, um, you know, whether it's Twitter or Reddit or um, Facebook, we see discussion forums and threads as, as a universal tool at this point. It's, it's uh, both in education and within our, our own popular social culture. The design of those discussion boards is, um, I mean, there's, again, I'm, I hate to reference too many specific technologies, but there's like the discussion board that's in Canvas by default. There's things like Piazza that have this sort of, um, I don't know, like uh, upvote, downvote sort of methodology, if I'm thinking of the right tool. Um, that that kind of is designed to help surface uh, surface the for instance I, I think Piazza is more like a Q and A style type of a tool right so so it might be that students are coming in there so it's not a normal discussion tool like it's more of a students ask a question other students or the instructor answers that question and then the best the most interesting questions are the questions that are getting the most activity kind of rise to the top because they're the most important things for a student other students to come in and see. So right there you have, at least at the surface, at the most sort of broad level, a tool that is designed to facilitate text-based asynchronous discussion between students and faculty. Um, but the design, some subtle things about the design are drastically different and you wouldn't design the same type of activity use and, and have the Canvas discussion board support it as you would Piazza. They're, they're, they kind of look similar on the surface, but they're totally different. And if you tried to take an activity and use them in either of those situations, you'd get very different results in terms of the types of engagement that you were seeing between people in there. Um, so like, that's one of those things. It's like, oh, the university just bought a license to Piazza. Now we can start using that instead of the Canvas discussion board. Like that's not the case at all, but I imagine some people think that way. Yeah, and I think in discussion forums, there's ways that you can apply the pedagogy in into the dialogue and to help create some sense of engagement. I feel like, um, you know, whether you go with a third party tool like Piazza or if you use Canvas um, LMS as, or any other LMS as a, as a um, discussion area, there are, um, you know, functionality challenges with all of them. There are pros and cons with which ones um, are best suited. But I think when you really look at the pedagogy side of discussion boards, um, and a lot of people really reference Burbley's the dialogue in teaching. He offers four different ways that you can construct a discussion, and a lot they can be either a conversation, an inquiry, a debate, or to utilize it as an instruction. And I think we also need to look at discussion spaces both as a formal learning tool and also an informal learning space as well for for learners to connect. So. Um, 
all of these tools, whether you, you use a third party tool or you use the um, built in you know, discussion board, they're all really trying to help reinforce uh, the knowledge through a social learning experience. That's their primary function. I think we also look at tools that are synchronous meeting spaces, such as Zoom um, or Skype or, or um, GoToWebinar, any of these other tools, as another way to help facilitate learning as well. And it, um, though it, those tools can sometimes present themselves as challenges due to the asynchronous nature of um, distance education, they do um, also offer a whole lot of affordances to learning if they can be implemented um, strategically or maybe not uh, a required uh, communication channel for, for students to participate in. Um, so I feel like maybe like that's another um, technology that, that we could discuss is really the synchronous tool, the synchronous mm -hmm. video um, Conferencing yeah. well, and similar, and, and it is similar to the discussion board question. There's a there's various various affordances of the various different synchronous collaboration tools, and they, and they might be often subtle differences um, that really impact. Um, even just the, the ease of use of them might encourage or discourage ad hoc um, synchronous collaboration. Um, you know, whether or not a particular tool can handle only one-on-one -on -one conversations or can, can it do group conversations? Um, it does it integrate with the learning management system. So it's easy to like, find when people are online and connect with them synchronously. Um, there's a lot of the devils in the details and all of this stuff. Um, so that's, um, you know, it's just something to be cognizant of. Um, so, so there's a lot of tools like this that are more readily available and things that we're actively incorporating in our courses. Um, what about, I mean, let's kind of flip this a little bit and talk about some of the more innovative, new emerging technologies. Um, and, and one thing I'll say about these is, is you know, I talk about the keeping up with the Joneses effect. Um, some other institution that we're competing with is using and the obvious one that I like to reference is virtual reality. So there's a certain amount of keeping up the Joneses. Like we want to get the headlines. We want to be an institution that's using virtual reality in cool ways to educate our students. Um, so, so there's some amount of this technology first that's that driving certain decisions. Um, it, it can be looked at as driving certain decisions about how we design our courses. Um, or, or what I think is probably more likely is happening is they these these tools enter the consumer marketplace. We engage with them initially um, in a in a more of like in, a, in other parts of in other ways in our lives, like you know video games or something, um, and then start to you know as as learning designers are want to do. Um, be thinking constantly about our students and how the different experiences that we have in life might play out in a classroom. And so, you know, we'll be playing a video game in virtual reality and saying, man, if we could do simulations with this environment, we could teach all kinds of different concepts that aren't really possible in other ways. Um, so it's sort of like a cyclical thing where at least within world campus learning design and, and many others, I'm sure, um, they 
that it is a fairly it's sometimes a technology first sort of consideration but then you think about the pedagogy and then you do some literature review and you see if that bears out and you're gonna not approach something in terms of integration into a course if it's totally not a good fit um, but you also might it might be something so new like virtual reality where at least from the consumer side there's not it's only been around here for just the recent past and there's not a lot of literature so you might want to find a good faculty member who's really into trying new things to say we don't really know what the impact on learning is are you willing to work with us to try something new out and we're, we'll do our best to evaluate it and we'll try to determine if it's having the impact on learning that we hope it is um, but it is you know it's a little bit of um, an experiment um, and and so so it just flips the pedagogy before technology on its head a little bit, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's an irresponsible application of random whiz-bang technology. It's just an iterative a realization that it's a messier iterative process. And this is the only way we can really move forward boldly in ways that we feel we need to. Um, but I mean, what is your thought about that? Like when you think about virtual reality, is your, is your reaction, um, this is really compelling for online learning or is it more like a, they're talking about VR again. Can't we get back to like real teaching and learning? <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the hats that designers wear is being a steward of technology. So getting back to what we said earlier is looking at you know what what emerging technologies are out there, um, and then looking you know virtual reality was not created specifically for education, right? But as a designer, we're always looking at how tools can be applied to education. Virtual reality definitely has its use cases. I think the other thing that we also need to look at is virtual reality or, or some of these other um, emerging tools and technologies are that they're becoming more equitable. You know, if you asked me about virtual reality five years ago, we, students and, and myself included would not be able to get our hands on good technology at an affordable price. So we are seeing that, that you know, technology is, is, is uh, cheapening up. We are able to have more access to it. And the quality is also improving as well. So if you wanted to um, recommend or design a course integrating a virtual reality experience um, into that, it's definitely more of an option now than it was a few years ago. And I think these are other types of, um, you know, there's other technologies out there that also come to mind that are becoming more accessible, whether it's uh, learning analytics or adaptive learning systems. Uh, those are other things, I, I think, getting back to your um, you know, your initial comment about how there's there's also a competitive edge that your institution um, wants to, to highlight and address uh, to show how innovative they are. And it's kind of racing to, to, um, to integrate and implement this new tool and be a leader in this space. So I think um, that really just then comes back down to the designer being that steward and adopting that tool, recommending or advocating for that tool, having those conversations with uh, the academic partner or your course author, uh, with your 
e-learning training group, whatever it may be, um, designers need to keep their pulse on it. But luckily and thankfully, technology is becoming more equitable and accessible. And, and I think specifically in the field of distance education, as learning is, is becoming more globalized, right? Where we have students who are enrolling in our courses and programs from all across the world, designers also need to keep that in mind and in consideration. So um, if you have a, a very uh, large population of international students in your course or program, you also are going to be taking into consideration the tools that they may have available to them um, within their context. So there's a lot of things that go into place with adoption of a tool. And um, I'm also specifically, you know, one of the things that is really nice about um, technology is that there is data and data helps us inform our design decisions. And it also um, really starts to change the culture in which we work. And really, as, we, as we're able to use, um, you know, these different tools and technologies, and they're able to give us some type of, of behavioral data, um, we are able to, to start to, you know, apply that to our own decision-making process, which in that evaluation stage, we're able to suggest if, if, if we're possibly um, piloting this tool in just like a small use case to see how scalable it is, mm-hmm. having access to that data can definitely inform our decisions if it's something that we want to continue pursuing and um, scaling upwards across either the program or, or the unit or the entire department. Uh, so there's a really a lot of um, great affordances that technology can also bring um, currently to our field as well. Yeah. Well, and I and one parting thought just to throw a monkey wrench in this whole conversation completely is uh, because that's the kind of note that I like to go out on is uh, it, I worked in an organization that was um, really focused on the technology side of things um, within, within teaching and learning for, for a while. And, um, you know, we like to, I think both, both from the enterprise IT side of things and, and also from the learning designer side of things, we like to, we like to, like you're saying, measure the impact of the tool of the, how students use the technology. So we know if we made the right decision or not. So we really try to create this very controlled environment. And one of the things that we found in that previous job of mine was that we were doing a lot of things like putting this whole complex suite of t- tools in front of the students to say, hey, when you're doing group projects and you're interacting with each other and you're, you know, uh, you know, organizing as a team to get something done, here's all these tools that fit all these different parts of your workflow. And adoption wasn't as high as we wanted it to be. And then when we kind of got in front of the students or did focus groups or whatever and, and asked them about it, they said they just list had this whole litany of other technologies that they used um, on their own, you know, various free tools that Google offers or different, you know, just using text messages on text messaging on their phones, um, things like that, that weren't part of the suite of tools that we were providing to them. And to some extent, it kind of the lesson that I took away from that is, you know, students are increasingly technology savvy, um, particularly like undergraduates that are, you know, the 18 to 24 range of, of students are coming in with their own preferred tools, their own ways that they like to engage with each other. 
Um, and, and so to some extent, it's like design the, design the things that you can. Um, and obviously, if you're going to do assessments around the, the interactions, you need to, they need to be being done in the tools that you have put in place to suit that particular purpose. But at the same time, there's a certain wisdom and just backing off and letting, I think that metaphor that I like is, you know, is to don't just don't build all the sidewalks just plant a bunch of grass and then watch where the paths kind of appear in the grass from people walking across the grass. And that's where you build your sidewalks because that's where people want to walk. Um, so, but that's, that, that like really drives certain people to have certain sensibilities of wanting to control everything crazy. But a lot of times that's actually a, a much more, um, it's going to yield, you know, students who have a higher satisfaction with the, you know, with the way that you're approaching their learning experience. I don't know it's, if we, you often have found that, but. I mean, we should always design for the needs or the expectations of, of the learning audience and the stakeholders who are also involved in this. So, you know, understanding where your SME or your course author is coming from is always helpful, but also, you know, if the, if, in this case, the learners are gravitating towards one tool or the other. I think it really just gets back to that design and the systems of instructional design need to be very flexible. They need to um, allow learners to, to self-select tools that they have access to. Um, it also, you know, it's the same with the instructors who are teaching the courses as well. So I, I feel like, um, as a designer, we we really want to build in that flexibility because that ultimately makes it a much more meaningful experience to um, the learners who are who are in the, the environment that we designed. And so often, learners come in with with a, their own unique set of goals, things that they want to achieve, um, whether it's the experience or the skills that they they may. Um, acquired during this this program of study but designers we want to build that into the course environment so um, having students self-select what tools they want to use to help um, support their group work or maybe develop their final project maybe the project doesn't need to be a 20-page research paper maybe their final project could be a um a presentation to the class about the the topic of study that that they just dove into semester long. So there's, I think we need to really, as you said, it, it's it's the sidewalk and the grass and what path that that people want to take. Um, that's the same in, in the learning process and, and the learning experience that we want to mm -hmm. design. So designing flexible is the most. Um, I think foundational concept that, that we need to bring to the table. Yeah, good. Well, that's a perfect note to, to end on. Um, I, I appreciate your kind of input because you, you have to make these decisions on a regular basis with the courses you design. And I think you've probably seen it done well um, and it's, you've seen it done poorly. And I also think that um, we would both agree that in the reality of how technology is selected and integrated is a lot messier and, and it's iterative and then than like maybe what the textbooks suggest is the right way to approach this problem. Um, but uh, but 
but I but I still think it's a problem. I mean, hopefully you'd agree that it's still it's it's still possible given all the messiness of reality and budgets and policies and bureaucracy and risk management and, and other messy things that it's still possible to, to do it right. Definitely. And I, I think a lot of it just comes, um, especially from an instructional designer's perspective, it comes with experience. So, you know, it's it's sometimes throwing something out there and seeing if it's going to stick. Sometimes you might be, it, it may not go very well or, or as, as intended, but I think it really just gets back to um, ensuring that in your flexible design process that you're also building in time um, in your iterative cycles to be evaluating, analyzing what's going well, what's mm-hmm. not going well, um, yeah. and and how it's we okay to make it's okay to make mistakes as long as you're learning from them. Yeah, yeah, failure is the best way for us to learn. So. Um, I think as a designer coming fresh out into the world, you're probably going to learn a lot and you're probably going to make a lot of mistakes. But um, I think it's all about your attitude and how you approach it and move forward. Yes. Okay. Well, that is an awesome way to end. Thank you so much for your time, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.